happy Reformation Friday. Uh, Hina and I are grateful for this opportunity to be with you this morning. And uh, we hope that uh, we'll be able to mutually encourage each other through our time here. Uh, it was a Wednesday morning on the 31st of October a few years ago, uh, 501 years ago actually, when a 34-year-old German monk named Martin Luther logged into Facebook. He opened the official page of the Roman Catholic Church and he posted 19 photos. Each picture had five points which he thought the church needed to really think about because uh, what he thought was that the church had departed from the Bible's teaching in some of the things that they were doing and he was especially against the teaching that we are saved by our faith plus works and uh, the Catholic Church was also teaching that we could be forgiven of our sins by paying money to the church and uh, in those days, as we all know, the hashtags were all in Latin. And so some of the trending hashtags of the day were hashtag sola gratia, we are saved by grace alone. Hashtag sola fide, through faith alone. Hashtag sola Christus, in Christ alone. Hashtag sola scriptura, according to the scripture alone and hashtag sola dio gloria for the glory of God alone these pictures got shared and liked but soon the Catholic Church deleted the pictures and they used their part to try and stop this teaching from spreading Luther was asked to post an apology message on the on the church's Facebook page but he didn't. He wouldn't because he believed that the Bible was a final authority on all things, not the men who controlled the church. That movement grew and today you and I are here this morning because of what happened 501 years ago. Many evangelical Christians don't think the Reformation was that big of a deal. So just to give you an example, I was in seminary last year and on the 31st of October in an evangelical seminary, our whole seminary as a body, we did something for Reformation Day. And that thing was we did nothing. Nobody even talked about it. And it was just another day in the calendar. And in fact, in my time in seminary, I think I heard more negative things about Martin Luther than positive. So people say things like, well, he might have been right on like some theology things, but why did he go and split the church? He should have just kept the unity. Well, when people say that, it just shows that uh, one, they don't really understand what the Reformation was about. And two, it also shows that they don't think that the gospel is that big of a deal. They think, oh, just unite, it's okay. Uh, because as one author puts it, uh, the Reformation was not principally a negative movement about moving away from Rome, 
it was a positive movement about moving towards the gospel getting the gospel right as a foundation of our christian lives and it is something we should take very seriously and one of the gospels which helps me understand the gospel one of the passages in the bible which helps me understand the gospel very clearly is ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 so allow me to read it for us before we spend some time in it Ephesians 2:1-10 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up in, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in christ jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them let's pray father open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things of the gospel of jesus christ with the help of your holy spirit Amen. Uh before we zoom in to the passage, uh let's just look at it from a distance uh for a bit. Uh this passage is a part of Paul's letter to uh Ephesus, a church in Ephesus, and in this letter Paul doesn't really address like specific issues or problems that the church is having like he does in some other letters, but he gives teaching on unity in the church and transformed Christian living. but he starts his letter by clarifying the gospel the rest of the the rest of the letter builds on this foundation and so today the passage we are looking at is the foundation for the rest of the letter uh just like foundations are critical for buildings to stay standing the gospel is critical for our lives to live as christians and today it's my prayer and my desire that we all would have a deeper understanding of the gospel and the grace of god through it uh you'll notice in your bibles in your passages that uh this passage it starts on a low key so we were dead and we walked in trespasses and sins but then it ends on a really high note we are alive we are god's new creation and we are to walk in good uh, works which god has prepared for us and so there's two kinds of walking two very different kinds of walking and in between between those two walkings we are told how that change came about and the change came about through god's grace by god's grace and through our faith as we go through this passage i'm going to suggest three responses to the gospel the first is to remember who we really were and we're going to see in verse 1 to 3 that who we really were 
wasn't very pretty. As we look through these verses, it's almost as if God takes our pride and punches it again and again and again. Because Paul says, we were dead in the trespasses and sins we walked in. We were following the world. We were following Satan. We lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our body and minds. We naturally deserved God's wrath. And we were just like everybody else. How do we respond to that? Because we like to think we're good people. We're good people with a few flaws here and there. And even when like the worst criminal dies, uh, in India people say, oh his heart was in the right place. And that's what we like to think about ourselves. We're really good, but we kind of mess up a little bit. Uh, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. We weren't just sick people who needed to, you know, just make our, just muster our strength and just somehow try and reach God. Paul says we were dead. And it's actually a bit humiliating. He says and our lives, the life he describes is just like the life of animals. We were living according to the passions of our flesh and the desires of our body. That's what animals do. And we see extreme forms of this in the news. Um, war, hatred, murder, rape, abuse. But we see, but we see forms of this in, us, in our own lives as well. Dishonesty at work, lustful thoughts, gossip. And we all know the sins that we have in our lives. And to make matters worse, worse, Paul says, we deserve God's wrath for this. Okay, now this doesn't mean that we're all like the worst possible people every single time. Because uh, uh, we do do good things and people around us, we do good things. But what it does mean is that when it, in God's standard is perfect holiness and we're not there. In fact, we're like under the ground somewhere. Paul says we were dead and we deserved God's punishment. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, it's a bit harsh, very negative on a nice Friday morning. But this has been humanity's problem ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit which God had forbidden. In Genesis 2.17, God had told Adam, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And after they had eaten it, God said in Genesis 3.19, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. God was not just talking about physical death. Uh, because of death, uh, because of sin, Adam and Eve died physically after many years. But first, they died spiritually. In Paul's language in our passage, they were dead in the trespasses and sins. But there's another kind of death which awaits everyone who continues living in sin and doesn't turn to God. According to John in Revelation 21.8, they will, they will experience eternal death in hell. And this is what Paul means when he says, we were children of wrath. We deserved 
God's punishment. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I hope you don't feel offended, but this is what the Bible says about you. You might be a better person than a lot of people that you know, but in God's eyes, you're spiritually dead and heading for eternal death. And let's be honest, that's not very good news. It's a bit scary and maybe even offensive. But please don't leave, good news is coming. So please stick on. And for those of us who are Christians, uh, do we realize that this is who we really were? Like really? We weren't any better than the rest of mankind. We were spiritually dead. We were headed for eternal death. And again, some people think, oh, you know, we're Christians, let's be positive, let's think on the good things. But it's really important for us to know what we really were. Do you remember those days when sin was normal in your life and you thought you were doing all right? When you enjoyed your sinful thoughts and you enjoyed doing sinful things? Do you remember that that was actually you? And I mean, as I remember, it makes me feel like this small. It's humbling, isn't it? But this is who we were. So let us, let us not forget, let us remember who we were. And secondly, from verse 4 to 7, Paul would say that we should rejoice in what God has done for us. Two of my favorite verse words in the Bible are the first two words in verse 4. But God. Those two words change everything, don't they? At the end of verse 3, we were all headed for eternal death, but God. Our hearts were hard as stone and our thoughts were sinful, but God. We enjoyed the sins we were living and we were no better than animals, but God. Our hearts and minds were full of lust and deception and animosity towards God, but God. And the verses, verses 4 to 7, they describe what God did to change our desperate situation. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see that He made us alive when we were dead. He raised us up with Jesus and He seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places. Isn't that something? In His, in his prayer in chapter 1, Paul had prayed that the Ephesians would know the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might which He showed in Christ when He raised Him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come Paul is saying that the power which raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us and like Jesus was raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly places we are raised from our spiritual death and we are seated with him in the heavenly places we went from being spiritually dead and in danger of eternal punishment to being spiritually alive 
and in possession of eternal life. It's as if we were in prison and getting ready to be executed for treason and suddenly we were pardoned and made a sheikh. That would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? But God has done something much greater for us as Christians. But why did he do it? Let's look at the verses. God didn't do any of this because we were nice people or we were, you know, these poor people who needed help or because we deserved it in any way. But look at the verses. Because God is rich in mercy. Because God has loved us with great love. Because of God's grace. The reason for God showing us mercy, love and grace is God himself. He acts because of who he is. By his mercy, God has spared us from spiritual and eternal death. By his love, God has loved us even when we were unlovable. And by his grace, God has given us eternal life when we deserved eternal death. But why did, but how did God show his mercy, love and grace? So we've seen what he did, we've seen why he did it. Let's see how he did it. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought God's punishment of death on all of us. But even at that low point, God gave a glimmer of hope for the solution to the problem. In Genesis 3.15, he promised that one day, an offspring of the woman would come and destroy the work of Satan. And the rest of the Bible is actually a search for this man. Who is the man who is going to destroy death? And as we go through the 39 books of the Old Testament, we find nobody who can fit that bill. A few dead people come to life, but then they, they died again. Enoch and Elijah didn't die, but they didn't defeat death in any way. God just helped them escape it. When Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew, the question is, is he the one? And it looks good for some time. Jesus confronts the kingdom of darkness by healing sicknesses, by exercising demons, and even raising a few dead people. But then it doesn't end very well. Three years later, naked, hanging on a cross like a criminal, dead. But praise be to God, because as Peter said on the day of Pentecost, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus defeated death. And the amazing thing is Paul says God made us alive with Christ. Isn't it shocking that God would do that? Remember who we were. Spiritually dead people headed for eternal death. And what does God do? He makes us alive with Jesus. And what's the purpose of all of this? Let's look at verse 7. So that we can all be healthy, wealthy and comfortable. Uh, let's be honest, that's what we want to see in the Bible. And because we think the whole world is revolving around us. And we think our comfort is the most important thing in the whole universe. And sadly, many Christian so-called people preach that. They say Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that you can be free from all your sicknesses. You can have all the money in the world and you can have a really nice retirement. 
But that's not what Paul says here. Because the Bible and the gospel is not about us. It's about God. Let's look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, in the new creation, which is the coming ages, God wants to show that he is a God of grace. He wants everybody to know that his grace is amazing. It can't be measured. How's he going to show it? We'll be there. The fact that we will be there with God for all eternity will be the ultimate evidence that God is a God of grace. Why is that? Because we are children of wrath. We have no business being with the holy God even for a minute, let alone the whole of eternity. But God. We were spiritually dead and heading for eternal death, but Jesus' death and resurrection means that we will experience what John writes about in Revelation 21. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Christians, isn't it amazing that God will do this for us? Is it possible for us to get bored of this gospel? You know, oh, I've graduated from the gospel. Give me something new. Is that possible? What an amazing God we have. Praise God for His mercy. Praise God for His love. Praise God for His grace. Praise God for giving us Jesus who died for our sins. And praise God that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death. We don't have to fear physical death any longer because praise God we have eternal life. When's the last time you stopped everything that you were doing and just thought about this gospel? From my experience, it's so easy to forget. Real life is what crowds our minds all the time. May God help us never to lose sight of his mercy, love and grace which he showed us through Jesus. And may we always rejoice in what God has done for us. And my dear non-Christian friends, isn't Jesus amazing? The Bible tells us some bad news about us, but it tells us some great news about God. God is merciful, God is gracious, God is loving. And God did something for us to save us from hell. God sent his son into this world around 2000 years ago. He lived a perfect life without any sin. And so Jesus was not a child of wrath, but on the cross he took God's wrath, which we deserved. And he died, but he rose again. And he is the only one who can take us, who can take you from death to life and I plead with you think about what Jesus can do for you because no one else offers this 
and actually it gets better. We've seen that the first response to the gospel is to remember who we really were and the second was to rejoice in what God has done for us and now thirdly we should receive God's gift of faith. We'll see this from verse 8 to 10. So we were dead sinners headed for eternal death and God has raised us up with Jesus to give us eternal life. But the question we need to ask is, who is the us? Has God raised everybody up for eternal life? Or, or has just, has, is this just about like people born in Christian, to Christian parents? Who is the us? Who has God done all of this for? And if you're a non-Christian, if you don't believe in Jesus today, I hope you're asking that question. How do we get in on this? How do we experience all of this? Paul's response is that we are saved by grace, which he had already said in verse 5, and through faith. To say we are saved by grace means that God saves us even though we don't deserve it. So in, I don't know if it's the same in your country, in India, in schools, there's something called grace marks. So if the passing marks, so you do an exam, and you're supposed to get at least 40%, okay, 40 out of 100. And so you, well, maybe you don't study really hard, and then you get a 38. And then the teacher's like, oh, well, okay, let's just make that a 40. I'll give you a half mark here and there. And that's called grace marks. You don't deserve it. You deserve your 38, but there's grace. And that's the grace that, that's what grace means. And so it says that we are saved, by grace. So God does that for us when we don't deserve it. And it's through faith. But Paul says this faith is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. And he says it's not a result of works so that no one can boast. And why can't we boast? Because God is the one who's working in us as we even do good works which he has prepared us prepared for us. Do you see what we have to do to experience eternal life in this passage? Look very carefully. We have to do nothing. All we have to do is receive God's gift of faith. Because we are saved by God's grace through faith. This means that God helps us to have the faith in Jesus. The way that theologians talk about this is they, is they say that we are justified by faith alone. So that's English for the Latin phrase sola fide, which, sorry if you didn't get that at the beginning of the sermon, all of my Latin. Those, those are the only like six words I know in Latin, by the way. Um, but anyway, yeah. So we are justified by faith alone. God accepts us and forgives us, not because of anything that we do, but because we accept his gift of faith and we believe in Jesus. And since we are observing Reformation Friday, it's worth pointing out that this doctrine, this teaching, was one of the main differences between Protestants and Roman Catholics. Uh, if you look at your 
this, the handout that you have, we have a good quotation which I'd like to read now. The article of justification by faith alone is the master and prince, the lord, the ruler and the judge over all kinds of doctrines. It preserves and governs all church doctrine and raises up our conscience before God. Without this article, the world is utter death and darkness. This is what Martin Luther says. And you might be thinking, well, that's very strong language. He's like making this like a very important doctrine. Well, that's because it is. Martin Luther and other Protestants, they insisted that justification was by faith alone. While the Roman Catholics responded that justification was by faith plus works, which included the sacraments of the church. As Protestants, as Protestant Christians, we believe that a person is fully justified by God the moment he or she believes in Jesus. But the Roman Catholic view is that we are not fully justified until we are completely cleansed of our sins, which they say will happen after we've spent years in a place called purgatory. I hope you, know, you can see in our passage that our only contribution to being saved is our sin and then our faith, which is a gift of God. If it was faith plus anything else, it wouldn't be a gift of God. We would have earned it. But that's not what it says. It's a gift of God and we can't boast because we didn't do anything about it. And uh, this is not the only passage which talks about it. If you read Romans and Galatians, two of Paul's other letters, there he talks in detail about why it is that it's not, not works, it is only by faith. But then some people say, oh, that's just Paul. You know, Paul was, you know, he had his own theology or whatever. But it's in the rest of the New Testament as well. So I understand that uh, you are in the middle of a series in 1 John. Okay, and so in 1 John, so why did John write the letter of 1 John? In chapter 5 verse 13 he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Who should know that they have eternal life? Those who believe in Jesus. And why did John write his gospel, the gospel of John? John 20, 29. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How can a person have eternal life? By believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose from the dead. And we see this working in Luke 23, I think very powerfully. So Jesus is hanging on the cross and in verse 39 to 43 we see a conversation between Jesus and the two criminals who are hanging by his side. Uh, one of them is not very impressed with Jesus. He's like, hey man, come on, help yourself, help us with you. But the other expresses his faith in Jesus when he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And how does Jesus respond to him? He doesn't say, oh man, you're just too late. You need to do all these things. He doesn't say, 
well, good. Now, uh, just spend a few thousand years in purgatory, and then we'll meet. Like, sure thing, good job. Is that what Jesus said? Verse 43. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That man, criminal, right? Not, didn't get the Nobel Peace Prize. One of the worst people around. He believed in Jesus. And that's all he did before he died. And that was enough. Why? Because we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. I think this is something which sets biblical Christianity apart from all other religions. There's nothing we can do to gain God's favor. God doesn't accept us because we've become great people. God knows we're dead sinners. And he miraculously gives us life through faith in Jesus. Okay, now this doesn't mean that God doesn't care how we live. Look at verse 10. God is working in us to do good works which he prepared for us to do. So in verse 1, if you remember, Paul says we are walking in sins and live, living lives which displease God. But now in verse 10, we are, we are to walk in good works that God has prepared for us. So we don't do these good works so that God will now accept us and be happy with us. No. Our good works come because God has already accepted us when we have faith in Jesus. Do you see the difference here? Our faith is the root. And the good works in our life, those are the fruits that are around. We can't just staple fruit onto the tree and hope that the tree would be a very fruitful tree, can we? It needs to have a living root. And that's the faith out of which our good works come. We don't become Christians because we are good people. We become Christians because we accept, we receive God's gift of faith. And we believe in Jesus. And then, graciously, over time, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God changes us and makes us better people. And so, my Christian brothers and sisters, do you believe in Jesus? Do you think your faith in Jesus is enough to save you? Is that the foundation of your life? Or is it faith plus something else? Do you do your good works because you have been saved? Or are you trying to earn your salvation by doing lots of church activities? Yes, it matters how we live. God cares about our lives. But let us not be so foolish to think that God accepts us because we are these like really great people and we are not like the other terrible people. And my non-Christian friends, didn't the good news get so much better? God can take you from being spiritually dead and he can give you life. 
God can take you from being headed for eternal death and He can give you eternal life. And what do you need to do? Just accept that you're a sinner and receive God's gift of faith and believe in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can take you from death to life. Because He is the only one who bore God's wrath to take our death and then He rose from the dead to give us life. Brothers and sisters, isn't it great that the Reformation preserved this gospel for us? And even more than that, isn't it great that this is the gospel that God has revealed to us? So let us remember who we really were. Let us receive God's gift of faith and let us rejoice in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for giving us Jesus. We praise you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can also go from death to life. And we praise you that we are saved through our faith alone, which is a gift. Father, I pray that you would help us to hold on to this gift. And I pray that you would give this gift to those who don't have it yet. Amen.